It's Friday, July 29th, 2016, and you're listening to episode 409 of Fear the Poot, a show about tabletop role-playing games and a little bit more. Running time for this episode is 51 minutes. Welcome to Fear the Boot. My name is Dan. This is Wayne. My name's Chad. And this is Brodor. So, uh, yeah, our computer almost blew up. Yeah, this was the episode that almost didn't happen. By the way, Patreon, <laughs> yeah. Dude, slide that in there. <laughs> Meanwhile, I'm I'm feeling the braille that is the blisters <laughs> on my ass from this chair. <laughs> yeah. The chairs were pre-harming them while I was on the floor. It, it turns out... <laughs> it, <laughs> Pre-harming. Yeah, it's funny because it's true. It was. It guarantees this episode won't be too long to edit. But, but it, why do you care anymore? I, yeah, I guess oh, I shouldn't. God. You know what? It's a fixed rate. We should just run these for like two, three hours. No, no, no. Fifteen minute episodes. We're in and we're out. We don't have to sit on the damn chairs. Yeah. It's like married sex. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it turns out just the sound card. I guess over time, because mm. as Chad noticed when he went down, because we were trying, <laughs> yeah. we couldn't get <laughs> we couldn't get sound out of the headphones. Yeah. And so we weren't sure, like, is the audio even picking up? Has the recording, like, has the mixer gone sure. completely tits up? Mm-hmm. And so Chad went, because he's on the back side of the yeah. mixer. I, I went down the back so side. Yeah, he went down on the back side uh-huh. of the mixer and was looking at the cords. And as yeah. you noted, there are lots of cobwebs back there because we don't have to screw with recording right, setup. Right, Just the balance knobs based on who's sitting in which seat. And it turns out that apparently over all this time, the sound card mm-hmm. had just... From the vibrations of the fan, or who knows what, yeah, they they do that. It just slowly unseated itself, Mm -hmm. and the audio was getting a pickup, but no output. Right, but now it's too good. Like I'm wondering, is this how everybody else feels when I talk? Like everything (laughs) is so fucking loud. Yeah, you know, for all the slash figures out there. Brodor and I are just sitting here in our chairs smiling while Dan and Chad crawl under the table. Yeah. I mean, we had a great view of Dan's ass yeah. for a long time. Well, you know, I, I noticed I noticed when you when you bent over, like uh-huh. so Dan had some and Dan's not fat at all, right. but he's he had a little plumber's crack going on. Mm-hmm. I noticed that your underpants were high enough like that, that even though I mean I could see a good bit of gray field right, above right, your belt right. and yeah. jeans. Bro, yeah. so I'm proud of that. Because you want I don't know why I've got plumber crack going on. It's actually something I'm proud of because I am in the process right now, like Chad, Mm -hmm. I've been revising my diet. I fell off the train on the exercise stuff for long boohoo stories I won't get into. We'll get your ass back on it. But I've been doing a lot better with the diet Mm -hmm. and I've been losing weight. Good job. And as a result, my pants are all falling down now. And I'm not, for anyone who's seen me, I'm a skinny guy. Oh, yeah, you're a skinny guy. But here's the thing. I, since we talked about it several episodes back, I don't mind saying, you know, of course, as part of the anxiety disorder, I take an SSRI to help treat the anxiety right. disorder. And one of the side effects for it in a lot of people, including me, is I've been skinny as real all my life. But as soon as I started taking that SSRI, I started putting on some belly weight and I've been working yeah. it all off. But as a result, now my pants are falling down. So I, I don't even have to be Dude, bending over. I walk down the street looking like a gangster. You don't even know, right? Right. OK, so I went to Colorado to hike uh, last month. Uh, by the way, thank you, Gyro. Uh, we went out to dinner. It was great. But uh, anyway, so I, I, I had to go in plane. It means I had to go through security. So we have the full body porno scanners at the TSA here in St. Louis. Oh, yeah, yeah. Totally necessary. Totally necessary. And so you have to take off your shoes. And I had to take off my belt. Thing is, I used to weigh 240 pounds. 
I now weigh 190 pounds, but I wear the same pants. Yep. So I had to take off my belt. Yeah. I need to find my belt again. Yeah. I had to take my belt off, put it through the scanner. So I'm there holding my pants up. And then they're like, you have to put your hands on your head because, you know, you go through the scanner, you put your hands on the head. Like like you guys can already see my dick. What's the deal? I know. So I'm there like I, I have a wide stance. Because I don't want my pants to fall down. And then they're like, okay, you're done. So I'm there shoeless and pantsless. And I'm like trying to hold my pants up. I'm waddling. Dude, this is why I out. hate flying so much. I have no fear of airplanes. I don't mind the act of flying. But you just don't like people looking at your dick with technology. Well, that. I'm cool with that. But <laughs> it's that chaotic. Like we finally It's arrived. that chaotic hustle. Yeah. There I am in this line. And the TSA agents are bitching at me that I'm not moving fast enough. And I'm trying to take off my shoes, get my pockets unpacked, put it all just how they want it. And holy crap, do they have a picky checklist of just how they want it. Well, and then I go through the scanner. Last time I went through scanner, I got yelled at for real mm-hmm. for having money in my pocket. Yeah. Not change, bills. bills. Because wow. they saw them on the scanner couldn't identify what they were. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm not aware of any major explosive the size of about a $20 bill. Made me take the money out, yelled at me, berated me, and then made me go through it again after they ran a bomb chemical check on the money and my hands. You know, some people pay for that kind of abuse. And so then I get out. Rotor's over here. And now there's this wave of people, like the strong, bad wave of babies, yeah. coming up behind me. And I'm all trying to get my shoes back on and keep my pants from falling down and cool. figure out what my sunglasses are. Make sure the TSA isn't stealing the money. They just check to be a bomb. Right. Also, we can be conditioned to be oppressed. And as a society, have more and more abuse and anxiety. Mm-hmm steeped upon us i now i'm angry (laughs) sir i will let you know it's not conditioning me it was just enraging me because if you want to condition me it's about making making you uncomfortable and anxious and stressed and make your experience even more unpleasant and difficult but if you want to make me accept it and become a different to it you have to make it unobtrusive this was completely intrusive right it's about abusing you yes but i didn't walk away like wow i'm never going to bitch about this on the show or to my congress (laughs) so anyway all right our our congressmen they support this i don't know that they do do tsa is well because they don't deal with that bullshit it's just like everything else it's that all the laws that they write they're outside of it i i do believe i i don't want i'll have to avoid the politics here when we already have but (laughs) the tsa keep in mind is an executive organization it's not a homeland security yeah it's not it's not congressional and so i can't remember did you know that there are airports that have thrown out the tsa yes hired their own private yes i do and now, I, I don't know if that's better or worse, but it, I found it surprising that the airports could throw out the TSA and bring in their own people. I think it's outstanding. I'd love to see it happen in more places. There is. But it won't happen in Missouri because the longest TSA line I have ever been in in Missouri at Lambert is like five minutes. Yeah, well, you know? and if you go to Terminal 2 for Southwest, yeah. it's seriously, you might really? as well just walk through, put your Uzi in the tray. And walk out the <laughs> I mean, it's, yeah. it's Missouri as long as you're well, honest I mean, about it. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's like, well, he showed us it. I found the, uh, the last time I flew was the flight to Vegas. And I spent more time waiting here in St. Louis to get through security and get to the line than I did leaving Vegas. It's not like that anymore. Yeah, it's like everyone warned me. It's like, 
make sure you get there like an hour beforehand in Vegas. They'll put you through all the ringer. No, you just walked right through. No now, problem at all. I've flown out of Vegas a number of times, and they have that stuff down to a science. Yeah. It was, I was amazed by it because everyone kept warning me, but it was so quick. All right, so our topic for today is not the TSA, though we probably could carry on about that for a while. What we want to talk about is maybe David Letterman. I don't know who it is. One of these late night shows has stupid human tricks. I can't remember which one. It used that? to be Letterman when he was on. So it was Letterman. Okay, I thought it was. I couldn't remember. Where people just come out and they do these really, really random things that are completely idiosyncratic to that individual. These, in truth, are not all that useful of talents, but it's just kind of, I don't know, Some it's a party trick, right? So I was thinking about this in terms of RPGs because there are various things that we come on this show and recommend either as universal advice, like don't be a jerk at the table, or as something that's more like, this may not be good for everybody, but it's a tool in the tool bag. You know, consider taking this and using this. And we think this would apply to most people. But then there are ideas that I think, actually, I know that we do individually that might be of use to a really small number of people, but aren't necessarily things that we talk about or share. It's just the things that we do, the stupid game master and player tricks that we do to make it through the game, to make the game work. I'll start off, I'll lead with this one, the passive-aggressive NPC. Now, I don't mean an NPC <laughs> that is passive-aggressive. I mean an NPC that only exists for passive-aggressive reasons. Because <laughs> the game, you want to think about this game as being this self-contained thing, that it's about the entertainment of the game, the story of the game, the characters of the game. But really... What people walk away with is a memory of the quality of the social experience they had around the table. And so I have found that if you can keep that drama up just a little bit to where people are bickering and they're not actually angry, but they're bickering kind of at a comedic level, that it is a great way of getting people involved, getting people laughing, getting people enjoying the moment. Of course, you can't let it go too far. But, for example, having a hot redhead NPC hitting on Pat and watching Beth's reaction and then watching John's reaction to Beth and just all the way the dominoes fall, it is gold. And it improves every game. So I have nothing like that. But the more I was thinking about this, there is something I do before every first game of a campaign. I have to either watch, read, or listen to something of a similar feel. So, for example, if I'm running a Dresden File game, I will always listen to an audiobook of one of the Dresden Files beforehand. When I was running the, uh, the noir superhero game, I went out and watched Phantom, Shadow, and a couple of other basically noir-type hero movies. And I always try to find something entertainment-wise to... It's not that I'm looking for ideas. It's that I'm looking for feel. Did you go back to Web of Time and play Spider-Man Noir? I actually didn't think about that. But what I did do totally should was have. I went on Netflix to find the oldest movies on there. And I tried to find things I could watch from the 20s and the 30s. Just to get the feel of the era that get I was the running the game. of language down mm. and yeah. Yeah. And that's something I do before every first game of a campaign. I don't know that that's odd. I don't know if anyone else does something like that. But I do it just to get in the mood, get in the feel. 
Well, I played uh, Dishonored, which is a game I don't like and I don't think is very good because I'm running Blades in the Dark and it, Blades in the Dark is based on Dishonored. But I didn't do it for inspiration. I did it to completely and totally rip off ideas. So, <laughs> I mean, so, it, it's wholesale stealing is what I did. Yeah, it was the opposite Complete for plagiarism. me. I'm doing all this stuff not for ideas, but just to get the feel of it. Yeah. All right. I'm about to say something that very embarrassing. This I'm, will be a first. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a shitty player, right? I mean, as a player, I'm very guilty of phoning it in. But as a game master, I try to really immerse myself in the world and in the NPCs. And I guess because I have much more passion for game mastering than I do actually participating as a player. And I will interview my NPCs. And what I mean by that is that I will sit down and I will look at my NPC on my my little note sheets or whatever. Yeah. And I'll think about, okay, who is this person? Why are they? And then I'll start asking questions to myself and then trying to answer those questions in the mindset of the NPC. And about how would they react to this? What do they think about this political situation? Because it gives me the opportunity to kind of slide into their psyche and their mindset. And it sounds like I'm a crazy person <laughs> talking to other people in my head head nope. but ultimately i find it very very helpful but he does this at work when he's surrounded by a bunch of people or in a restaurant well, by himself, so. or going through the line at the tsa that's yeah. a whole that's a whole <laughs> different situation but it really helps me to like for example one of my players in my current fifth edition DD game his character has developed this romantic affection for their female commanding officer which i never saw happening never planned whatever it just grew organically and i really thought my god how how does she feel about mm -hmm. this how would she how would she react once she finds out you know once it becomes knowledge once she's aware of that and so i thought well god what i mean what would that scenario look like so in my head i just thought well okay what do you think and there you go and it, you know brother i can't judge you too harshly because while it's not quite wait 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 <laughs> rewind that sentence think about it and say it again brodor i can judge <laughs> crap out of you as arguably one of the most hideous people alive however it would be somewhat hypocritical to do so in this regard because while i am prepping for a game driving to a game whatever and i'm sitting in the car it's a little bit different that there's no interview but I try to picture these scenes and sort of think through the lines the NPCs would give, the presentation I want to give. And along the way, I may see something or even just something that pops in my head. It's like, wow, it'd be really cool if I just added this little detail or that little detail. Or it sounds kind of neat to use this particular metaphor. And so I do sort of rehearse the roles. Right. There was a game where I played a knoll named Gnarl. We'll, we'll talk what? about it sometime. <laughs> but on the way to those games, yeah. I rehearsed my knoll voices because there's well, a whole bunch of them. There's yeah, like there's a, a whole cast of them. Of them. Yeah. yeah, I was like Mr. Rogers in the, what is it called? His uh, Neighborhood of Make-Believe, right. where he's like 90% of the voices. <laughs> it was kind of the same sort of thing where, I mean, I had a whole cast of knolls and I had to work through them all. So I'd start working and them out. All, they were all oh, distinct. Yeah, and I had different. to, I practiced that in the car on the way down. So I'm driving down past that little country shop that's along 109, mm -hmm. and I'm just knolling it up with the radio <laughs> on. That's fantastic. You know what amuses me about this? For a while, you were carpooling with someone and driving them. So I'm now envisioning no, him this, sitting next this to you. This never and happened you doing while that. carpooling. So, so what were the 
practices? Were you just saying, you know, seashells on the seashore type of stuff? Or were, were you like having, man, I really could use some Taco Bell. And you know, it's like, no, it was more just like random phrases. And I think, and this is probably the sign of some like early onset dementia, <laughs> but I'd be doing those rehearsals in my head yeah. of like scenes or lines or whatever. And then I just say one aloud mm. and then a different Noel would respond. And <laughs> All right. What, All right. What's yeah. good I'm, I'm picking up. Yeah. I'm picking up. What's down. You said, this yeah. is probably a sign of <laughs> some kind of early onset dementia because I'm it, too old for schizophrenia. So if it is, I'm guilty as well, because before Sarah joined the group, I would do this occasionally driving in practice the voice particularly there was in the dresden game there were denarians so they were possessed oh my god so, so my I favorite would pra- part of the whole i would practice universe. a possessed voice they would kick their ass yeah They're a bunch of bitches i would practice going from a normal voice straight into the possessed voice so wait, on the drive over as a ginger what was it like pretending there was a spirit in your body <laughs> <laughs> Wayne's like, ah, ha, ha, yeah. Yeah, adding to the list. <laughs> so I don't, I'm just kidding. You've been on the list for years. <laughs> I don't actually do that. I don't, I, I don't do voices in games. Uh, mm-hmm. I, well, no, I guess I do. Larry Larry has a voice. And yeah, then, you definitely do voices, yeah. but it's more natural. And normally for me it is, too. Yeah. I wanted this to be something special. I wanted to practice my possessed voice. I did a Russian voice. And to do a Russian voice, I had to uh, I had to say lines from Bullwinkle that the Russian spied like because yep. I'm like, I can't blah, I can't. OK, so Vlad, like, no, I can't do it like moose and squirrel. <laughs> <laughs> and then I can roll in from it there that moose and squirrel tries to stop us. And I, then I just keep in you know, my most recent Battletech campaign that I was running online. They had a uh, contact. Mm-hmm. From House Mari or America, however one cares to pronounce it. And he was a Russian guy, and he was supposed to have a really thick Russian accent. And some of it I accepted was just bad. Because you know what? Even if it's a bad accent, oh, yeah. you're still unpuckering the people at the table. My but Russian slides into French. I thought I thought back to the actual Russian family and mm-hmm. that or families, plural, that we associate with. And so that's where I got mine from. Another one of my stupid little things. All my games and all my characters have a theme song. I will never tell anyone what they are most of the time. I did mention one on one of the threads in our forum, and someone was pleased because in addition to you introducing them to Mm MyNoise.net, I introduced them to Blind Guardian. Mm. Because Blind Guardians and the Story Ends, which is the name of the song, was the campaign song that inspired the best Shadowrun campaign that I have ever run. It was a really good campaign. Probably one of the best campaigns of anything I've ever run. But all of my characters, not all NPCs, but all my player characters and all of my games, particularly the ones that I really care about, they all have a theme song. Mm-hmm. We've got to do an episode of Gaming Stories. Okay. At some point. I tell you know, what, Brodor, I will put best, that down here right after ga- <laughs> the, the, our trip to the east side to go see the Merilith Act. No, we're going to go to the east side to see if the gentlemen's clubs have Pokemon. That's what we're going to go do. <laughs> to see if they're Poke stops. Yes. I, I already know the answer to the question. That I, I, you went there for lunch? No, no. <laughs> you went uh, there for the articles. <laughs> no. <laughs> My theory is do gentlemen clubs have poke stops or gyms or Not whatever in, in right. no. the answer is no 
because you're not allowed to whip out your phone in a strip club. Well, my guess would be yes, because ingress, I think, allowed you to mark them from outside. Uh, well, and yeah, I could but see in the parking lot. My answer is yes, but if you walk into a strip club and whip out a cell phone, best case scenario is you get asked to leave. Oh, yeah, and that's if you're lucky. Worst mm-hmm. case scenario is you get removed. Right. And so that's, uh, yeah, we're not suggesting this, but this is something you can research. This is something. To- <laughs> yeah. On your own. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Consider this a, an act of, dis- it's like distributed computing, except throughout the gaming mind. You guys tell us what you find. You know, I've never had a song associated with any character or really game wise, except in one game. I can't remember what it was. I came to the conclusion that every elevator in the game would always play Girl from Ipanema. <laughs> it does. That was the Dresden game. That's what I was that. thinking yeah. as it was Dresden. Anytime yeah. anyone was in an elevator, it was yeah. always yeah. playing Girl from yeah. Ipanema. That, and we'd bring Couldn't it up you on our phones that too. to yeah. Pill and Ibiza? No, it's Girl from Ipanema. I know what the song is, but I was just thinking, couldn't you update it to a similarly named, more modern song? No, no, because, because that's that not is the trope. Exactly. The trope okay. is that girl from Ipanema is playing on elevators. All right. Every single, Every one, single one. Everywhere. Yeah. No matter what. Right. And that's a really, that's a really fun, quick, cute moment in the game where you're just like, and then you hop on the elevator and you've got your phone there at the table. Boom. You hit it. You play it for a few mm-hmm. bars. Boom. You're done. You're off the elevator and go. That's great. I changed the background on my phone. I don't mean like or right gaming? this second. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Like if I know that I'm about to game a particular genre and I'm really pumped up for it, I will change the background on my phone to reflect something about that genre that really gets me like th- this captures what I love about the genre. For example, when I was working on some Skies of Glass stuff, I changed the background on my phone to a picture of a guy on horseback standing in front of and looking up at the space shuttle on its launch pad overgrown with like vines and creep and all kinds of crazy stuff. Like, I mean, no like alien stuff. It was just abandoned and falling (laughs) apart and rusted and overgrown. And it was like, yeah, that's about how the setting feels to me. I will look at weapons of that time period. So I have like books and books and books about weapons from various parts of history and various cultures and what have you. And, and if it becomes something that's too high fantasy or too science fiction, I will scour the internet just to get like, so, Hey, what are my PCs and my NPCs going to be using Mm. to try to murder one another (laughs) in a variety of scenarios and horrible ways. So I'll just sit there on the toilet, looking at guns and looking at swords and spears and, you know, just to, and get those creative juices of murder flowing. Chad, there's one you were mentioning when we were setting up the show that I like. It's terrible and stand, it's against and, everything I believe in, but I you, like it. it. Yeah, it's it's great, isn't it? It so, is. But like I said it's against it's it's everything. Oh God, I, I don't even know if I want to say it. I I have actually been thinking about this thing. I have been doing it for years and years and years and years, and I've never told anybody. Dawn doesn't even know I do it. And I have debated multiple times about bringing it up on the show before, but I brought it up now and I think a lot of people are going to get really angry when I reveal it. And it's irrelevant to our current game. It's a, it is irrelevant to our current game because there's no hit points in our current game. Right. I do not count hit points when I run a game ever. I've ran D and D and people are like, Oh, well, you know, they ran the rules. Like, well, you know, not really. I mean, yes, yes and no, but I ran the monsters. I tracked their strength or damage, all this. 
Uh, all the roles were above board for all of my games. You know, I don't do I don't do a game master screen right. and all that sort of stuff. When you hit, you hit. But say Dan is fighting a skeleton. The Gnarl is fighting a skeletal knight, right? Because mm-hmm. uh, you would just annihilate a normal skeleton. So it's this like really powerful like Lord skeleton. You're just you know laying into him. And what I'm doing is Dan is you are mechanically operating your character. You're making your rolls. You're doing all that. Now it's the skeleton lord's turn, and I'm rolling, right? And and he has an axe, and it's a magic axe, and it does this much damage, and all that is on the table and above board. And I roll this dice, and we follow the rules, and it does damage to, to Gnarl. Right. Gnarl, in turn, does all that stuff and does damage to him, and you do 28 points of damage, which no one has ever noticed, but I don't write that down. I don't write it down. I don't mark it. I don't track it. I have no idea how many hit points the skeleton has. It's by design. And the what I am doing is not just, oh, I'm just a lazy GM and I don't care about rules. No, it, I'm doing this for a purpose. It is that the fight ends when the fight needs to end. You win the fight at its most tense moment, right. at the most plot just driven moment, not you do you do a mega crit and you take its head off and you're done the first turn or the fight drags on and on and on and it's not really doing damage to you and you're just you know nickel and diming it down it's really boring no i mean it's and when you do the attacks i'm describing the you know you lop off its arm and it shatters into a million pieces but it picks up the sword that in the dropped arm and starts swinging at you again i do all that but when the fight reaches its natural conclusion the players have had enough and I've had enough and it's at this tense moment, then I decide that the fight is over. You want to hear it's dead. One of the things I've only heard this a handful of times, but I've heard it enough times throughout my gaming career, both during Fear the Boot and prior to doing Fear the Boot, hanging out game shops or whatever. That to me is one of the most baffling things I have ever been told, Mm. which is when somebody walks up to me and they're telling me a, some gaming story of, I don't know, maybe it's great, maybe it's terrible, doesn't really matter. But they're telling me a gaming story, and they're telling it to me from the Game Master's perspective, and they say something to the effect of, I killed this player character, or I TPK'd the party, and then they kind of laugh, and and I didn't even mean to. Right. And it's like, okay, I'm I'm thinking this, you know, Mm -hmm. it's like, I don't really want to hear the answer, I don't want to have the debate, I don't care enough. But what I'm thinking in the back of my head is, um, how does that happen? Right. You kind of control everything that happens at the table. See, that's why it I almost, do it. I say it almost happened uh, just recently in one of Chad's games where Pat and I are upstairs separate from the party. Mm. And we're the only two that can affect this paranormal thing that they're fighting yeah. downstairs. And we get to that point of Pat and I are rolling to notice the sound and failing and failing and failing, and everyone downstairs is taking you know consequences and is getting beaten up. And we have this moment of you know we roll the dice to see if we notice something. And I can't remember exactly how it came about, but I make the comment of uh, you go on down there, I'll just keep her company. Yeah, when my character is the one that had the ability to deal with the thing down there. The way I see it, you know, because I think a lot of people are going to come at me and they're going to say. Well, you know, you're not... It's not fair. It's, it's not, not equitable. Fair, it's not equitable right, blah, right. Blah, blah. Well, remember, for one, I'm on the player side here. Yeah. Uh, you know, I I don't really... I'm not into killing 
players. Uh, <laughs> I'm not into killing players. Good. <laughs> and also, I'm not into killing their characters because I think I believe that players should put a lot of work and effort into their characters. Right. Um, and a game master controls every single aspect yep. of a game to a large extent, to almost a, in a majority extent. So saying a Gnarl is fighting a skeletal knight that's all powerful and stuff as powerful as he is, and we, we count all the hit points, or I throw a skeleton at him, normal skeleton that he smashes in one blow, or I throw a Lick Lord at him that is 20 levels too high for him that kills him. I've moved that slider. What does it matter? I have to give Gnarl a combat that he beats, but I have to give Gnarl a combat that is entertaining and interesting as right. well. Yeah, exactly. So to me, not counting the hit points and deciding that the battle has gone on long enough, the tension has risen long enough, and that every time you kill something, it is at the most dramatic, most interesting, are we going to make it moment for the players? Yeah, and I handle it in a somewhat different way, which is why I thought that your approach was interesting. Mm. Because most of the people that I know that take a similar approach, that say they want the combats to be dramatic, to be close, but they're not looking to wipe the party. They're not right. looking to be a jackass about it. But maybe they will bend the rules in the player's favor. And there's plenty of GMs that would fall mm -hmm. within this category. I think most of those GMs, myself included, tend to do that not by ignoring the hit points, mm -hmm. but by manipulating choices. Yeah. You know, okay, I've nearly killed this one guy, and I will come up with a an excuse why this guy is going to suddenly focus on somebody else or something right. else. And yeah, I recognize it's fairly transparent mm -hmm. unless I really have an ace moment. It's generally pretty transparent. I get it. I don't care. I don't mm -hmm. think the person who just didn't get killed if they liked their character probably yeah. didn't care. Most of the groups I play with, they're not in it for the simulationist aspect. Mm -hmm. They're in it for the narrative. They're in it for the ups and downs. But you had a novel approach of mm -hmm. simply not counting that kind of stuff, especially because in a game like D&D, where you're using your own monsters, who even knows? Right. And if we're playing a game like Battletech, where the stats are really set. Well, I mean, the and I put a gauss ball into yeah. a locust leg and you're like, OK, it's still fine. It's, uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, okay. Show me that mech well, sheet. Yeah, I mean, I, with Battletech, the part of it, it like there's role playing, and then the role playing stops to bring out the maps, and so it's it's almost like a different game. Yeah, you know. I mean, even still, there you can change up what's happening, but yeah. you cannot make that idiosyncratic choice that you make. Right. Of I simply will speed up or slow down the rate of this enemy's decline based on the drama of the moment. See, I have to ask, if they're guaranteed that they're going to win the combat because you're not counting the hit points, why have the combat at all? I agree with you. That is my central thesis on game mastering right there. But that's not how people have fun. That's how I have fun. I disagree for a different reason, which is, Wayne, I can tell you right now, in the Holly Holm-Ronda Rousey fight, I can tell you who won. You already know who won. Holly Holm beats her. Watch the fight. If you have not seen the fight, it is an amazing fight. It is more exciting and faster paced than the vast majority of choreographed movie fights. It is one hell of an impressive fight, and you know how it's going to end. So why have the dice? Why have the hit points? Why have the dice? I have, agree with have, you. Have the exciting... 
So I, I love simulation. I am a because, simulationist. Because the dice I, tell a story. I, I want the hit points. I, I yeah. want them to be there. I want to know what happened. I want to have that moment where, oh my God, you just got crit by the monster. Okay, so, and this changes the entire, the, the entire landscape of the battle for the rest of the encounter. Okay, so Brodor, let me give you an example from a different game. The old fastest Star Trek game. We've talked about this several times before where it takes you through the steps of the character's life. And then there comes a point where you start rolling up the number, nature, and review you got from your prior tours of duty before this campaign begins. Now, I can tell you how that ends. How that ends is you're on the starship, whatever we're playing, Mm -hmm. in this position on the bridge. That's how it ends. SS plot device. Exactly. Flying towards planet MacGuffin. But the dice that you're rolling along the way (laughs) tell a story that oftentimes is unexpected and very compelling and very entertaining, and the table has a lot of fun with it. There's a phrase that I've used on the show before. I believe it was before you were on the show, but it's a phrase I used to use fairly often, and I absolutely stand by, which is if you have four people at a table, you have five players. The fifth is the dice, because the dice tell an element of the story that nothing else tells. And even if I know how it's going to end, the trip there, I think the dice can create a narrative. And I'm not, I don't use Chad's method. All right, so mm-hmm. let me stress that. I do use hit points. I use different devices for trying to control the ebb and flow of combat. And in my mind, there have been times where the great big boss stomps out, and I want this dramatic fight. And in one swing, I use the old double 20s and a hit for insta-kill from 3rd edition, and they take his head off. And I've had it happen. Right. It happened to me in a boss fight where I send a boss to the players and the freaking mage of all people <laughs> swings his quarterstaff at oh it. Oh my God. Pelican's ninja mage. Yeah. With his, he never cast a spell. But credit is <laughs> but freaking staff They were rolls. fighting these goblins or orcs or something. And like their kingdom's out. And he's got all these hit dice. He's this big badass and magic items and blah, blah, blah. And he rides past him in a horse, takes a swing. 2020, and then whatever the third or fourth roll is necessary to get the instant kill, just crushes his head. That's it. Fight's over. And to me, that was completely above board, was completely by the rules. Hit points became irrelevant, but I did have his hit points. But that told a story I never planned. Mm -hmm. And there's a reason this happened, what, 20 years ago? And Chad remembers it. Mm -hmm. And I remember it. And the dice told that story. Right, but but if, I knew they were going to beat the Goblin King or whatever he was, the Orc King or whatever the race right. was. I knew they were going to beat him. I mean, it wasn't my goal to TPK them. Right, and but that occurred because you had hit points, you yes. had a total, or you had a rule at your table. Sure. If X number, if if these numbers are rolled in this sequence, the guy automatically dies. <laughs> but in this situation, with the with my opponent, yes. not having hit points, yes. Do the consequences of my dice rolls matter? I mean, for example, and, and, and I'm sure that you do, but if I have multiple crits in a row, you're yeah. not tracking hit points. But if I've hit this guy with multiple yeah. crits in a row, I'm assuming you're taking all of these things into oh, yeah. consideration. I will actually give Chad, yes, I will absolutely, having been in those games, give Chad credit there. Because there were times that I did just belt the crits and... Chad's, I mean, so, Chad's yeah. literate. He can see the <laughs> right. 20s. Yeah. And he's like, okay, you just took, you tell me how you took his head off. <laughs> right. so, so what, you, what did the death look so like? So you have in your mind mm. an established 
amount of abuse that this target can take necessarily. It's just not it's conceptual. A yeah, it's right. not a number. It's conceptual. And I decided some writer over at TSR at the time or whoever the hell Watsy, yeah, yeah doesn't doesn't decide that for me. And you know, getting back to it, it's like, well, why have the fight anyway? You know, it's like, well, you Wayne's point earlier. I want failure to always be an option, you, personally. That's you. I know. And, and I it's not everyone. Yeah, it's not everyone. I but, want, yeah, I want when I go into a combat, I want to know that I could thing. fail this. They could they could get away. I'm gonna tell they you could capture us. I'm gonna tell you a major game master secret here that's not mine, okay. it's just game master secret in general. It goes back to Gnarl, the Skeleton, the Skeleton Knight, and the Skeleton Lich Lord. Lich Lord. We'll say Lich Lord. I like Lich Lord. Yeah, yeah Lich Lord. <laughs> it goes to back to what we were wrestlers we were talking right. about before the recording. So you got the Lich Lord. <laughs> and uh, so if you're counting hit points, you're counting everything, and everything is above board, and rules are the rules, and you're playing by the rules and all that, the Game Master makes a decision. The decision is, do I want an easy fight? Skeleton. Do I want a challenging, but we know he's going to win fight, the Skeletal Knight? Or, I want to kick his ass. The Lick Lord. <laughs> he's very licky. Yeah. And, I want to lick his ass. The Lick Lord. jaw rattling, <laughs> sort of petrified tongue dangling like my dog does after playing in the hose. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you just don't even he want to fight He stops mid-fight to oil his tongue. Who <laughs> uh, was so, the guy that did Pan's Labyrinth? Guillermo del Toro. Yeah, some kind of Guillermo del Toro porno movie. Yeah. I love so, him. So, I mean, the point is, though, it's like, okay, I choose, I choose when Narl is going to win, and the dice, the dice tell I mean, the story. I, yeah. The dice tell the story because Dan, you know, crits, boom, head off, first roll, bam, skull goes tumbling off into the ether. Who cares? That's awesome. Good job. And we describe it. Or, you know, Dan's rolling like shit. And the skeleton knight is rolling pretty good. Well, then Dan's getting beat up. And the skeleton knight is not so much getting beat up, but you're wearing him down and we're describing it. It's going. It's just like if you count hit points or not. But me choosing when the skeletal knight is going to be defeated is not a whole lot different than choosing whether it was a skeletal knight. It's the same thing. It's just a different part in the process. Stressing again, this is not how I run a game. Absolutely not. Having been a player at Chad's table, I can say that at least the way he executes it. Now, there may be people say this is horrible. I would never want to play in this game. That's cool. You know, good. <laughs> no, I want you in well, this game. But the, you know, it's fine. Everyone can and can game their own way. But having said that, the way that Chad works it, I will say that I think it is more meaningful than it sounds. Mm-hmm. And I will also say that I think Chad does have a point that choosing what you're going to do with the die rolls. Yes, that is absolutely a game master intervention that predisposes the outcome to a certain direction. But Can't as he noted, anyway. so did mm-hmm. setting the challenge rating of the encounter. You know, what you chose to put at them. I've had game masters tell me they know, okay, this is a real warrior heavy party. So I'm going to have a bunch of guys up at high windows using will save spells on you mm-hmm. where you can't reach them and you're probably not going to make the saves. Oh, what a dick. Well, yeah, what a <laughs> dick. But even that aside, is that really any different? 
versus saying, I'm going to have a bunch of guys with fort save spells down at ground level where you can grab them by the collar mm-hmm. and punch the candy out of them. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, mean, is that- and I will admit to having thrown in individual characters before in a fight based around the person they're fighting. So yeah. Chad in a, in a Dresden game, with the big muscular guns, guy, yeah. went through over to the Never Never, yeah. and I presented him with someone that did all psychic damage. He had no defense against it. You had a setup where th- that was the story that we told where I felt really horribly guilty because you had set up this big, gigantic encounter and we yep. planned it for a couple of weeks. And then I made the decision to tell the group, like, no, we should walk away from all of this and not do any of his great planning. Mm-hmm. Well, in that great planning, my guy was a troll. He was a murder machine. Absolute murder machine. My guy was the most powerful guy in the group. Wayne made guys specifically designed to take my guy out, now, as he should. In that case, though, it was an obvious one to do, because the enemies they were fighting were also preparing, and they knew about the character. Okay, so it made logical sense. Right. Now, the Fae that had the mental powers, that was just me being passive-aggressive. Sure. Because <laughs> my guy was a murder machine. Well, they right, right, be passive before we get too them. far down the... the, the rabbit hole in this yeah. one which we already have let me give you another stupid trick for the table this is one that i picked up from a guy who used to game for us all the time or game master for us all the time and i didn't even notice he was doing it until he told me and it destroyed some level of my enjoyment of his games because of how immersion shattering it was when hmm. he told me this when you need a name look at the things around you and start mispronouncing them for example Let's say right now we're running a game. You guys walk into a place. You say, what's the name of the guy we're encountering, the contact we're going to meet? His name is Gunter Ross. Now, where did I come up with the name Gunter Ross? There's a Guns N' Roses poster behind Chad. Hmm. So, Gun, Ross. And like, wait, no, Gun sounds kind of like Gunter, Gunter Ross. We were playing a Star Wars game. This is where this came from. We were playing a Star Wars game. Played one of my top five player characters I've ever played. Love that character. Would love to play him again. But we were playing the Star Wars game. And throughout the whole game, he we were encountering all these characters that had very Star Warsy sounding names. Yeah. And they all worked great. I mean, they were f- workable phonemes. Flatulence. <laughs> but they weren't real words, right? Bantho poo. For example, we ran into one guy who's called whose name was Sieg Har. He was looking at a cigar box while he was making the game. Uh, so we well, ran that's into right up there with Chewbacca. Yeah, chewing chew, tobacco. tobacco. So, I mean, I think you have to watch just how obvious it gets. And I think that's something else to stress about all these stupid tricks. Whatever your stupid tricks are, and we'd love to hear yours. Share them on the blog, share them on Twitter, share them on the forum. But having said that, sometimes it's better not to tell your players how the sausage is made because things start to get a little too obvious. But it's I, I one of those things that once he, I hope Pat yeah. never listens to this episode because he will never be able to play in one of my games knowing that I don't count hit points. At least a game that's supposed to have hit points. I, I, Dan, I do the name thing except what I do. I'll take the first name of somebody I work with. Yeah. And then the last name will be an object in the room. <laughs> so it'll be like Bob Pornography Magazine. <laughs> I do. Because you gave it pats. So yeah, I know, I, right? I, There's a whole stack of them. I, mean, um, I steal doctors' names from work. So we have, you know, doctors like, uh, you know, 
Dr. Salamat, for example. <laughs> wow. That's a, that's a that's great... A, that's a great that's a, villain that's name. That's a great... Right? So yeah. we have a lot of, you know, doctors with non-Anglo names. Mm. And so if I come across one, I'm like, that's a great name for somebody from Volcar. I'm going to write that down and I'm going to use that doctor's name as one of the NPCs. I always <laughs> have trouble with that because... If I'm thinking of the game, I'm usually sitting behind my computer, especially now that I have like all these notes and stuff. I'm thinking of names and I've there. Dawn and I are very avid readers. So we have bookshelves of full books everywhere. And the bookshelf that's right by my computer, right on my left, I look over and, you know, you, you look at a title or an author name or something like that. You can kind of pull the pieces out of it. But there's one book there. I need to move it. It's a gigantic blue book with big yellow block printing on it that says Van Gogh. And so my eye is instantly drawn to it. So whenever I'm thinking, what can I name? What can Van Gogh? No, I'm not naming a guy Van Gogh, <laughs> damn it. Now I can't think of anything because it's just right there and so big. Google language translators. Yeah. I've got multiple, you know, foreign yeah. language to English, vice versa, dictionaries that I'll use for names. Names are the absolute hardest thing for me to do as a game master. My favorite with translation is taking a word and then translating it to Latin. Mm. Right. And then coming with the name based on well, the Latin yeah, you got to be a little bit careful with that for simple reason that while our language is predominantly Germanic in descent, it has been so heavily influenced by Latin that we have a large number of Latin words to begin with. And so, like, what's a great Latin word for to remove? Hmm. I'll call him Dr. Extricate. <laughs> uh, okay. Nope. Not that one. Uh, how about intense pain? You know, like, like the pain of crucifixion. I will call him Dr. Excruciate. Mm. <laughs> Rather than Dr. Excrement. <laughs> I believe that is actually also Latin. I would have to check mm. that one. But anyway, so I have a pregame ritual and it's it's not particularly interesting, but I have to go through the steps. One of the things I miss about not it's like being, an OCD thing. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. All yeah, the exactly. dice have to be lined exactly, up. Exactly. Exactly. One, yeah. one, one of the things that I miss about going to church, I, I grew up Catholic. And the, one of the things that I absolutely love about religion is the ritual of it. Like I loved Easter time and the stations of the cross. I just absolutely love the ritual of that. So for me, when I'm game mastering, I have to go through my preparation and my ritual. So I run a game once a month for a group of friends and uh, before the game, a few hours before the game, after the house is all cleaned and my wife's in the kitchen because she loves to cook as a hobby and she makes food for everybody. So like at the start of the game, do you look at the guy on your left and say, I'm going to run this game for you you and then look at the next guy and say and also for you <laughs> yeah, yeah we, we, I, I, he passes I actually, around the, i actually uh, have a censure and incense and i go around the do, table no wait he passes around games, the collection do, he does take yeah. up collections yeah. the game master yeah. i do he does right. pass the plate I, I have not passed the plate for a long time and god i wish i could do that for a living game god has, game mastering for money was probably one of the that was one of the best times in my life any which way <laughs> i have to make sure that i've i've gone through my notes i've reviewed everything everything. I've interviewed all the characters, all the mm -hmm. NPCs that are going to be necessary in this particular adventure. And I have all my books out and I have my dice out. Everything has to be set properly in the room, you know, all the chairs aligned and the maps out. But one of the things that I love to do is I, I love, in, in addition to the simulation, I love the production. I love having miniatures at the table and all the toys mm -hmm. and accoutrement that go with it. And one of my greatest sources of inspiration, if I don't have it, I'll just go through my boxes of miniatures and I'll just hmm. look for a fig and go, huh, that's a really interesting looking villain. 
What's his deal? Oh my Let's god! Let's find out. I used to you use know magic I, cards for that. That's that's a magic cards is a great idea. I just have this overwhelming desire to go to the grocery store and buy figs now. <laughs> <laughs> actual figs, <laughs> the actual figs, yeah. and then put them on the table. Like guys, we're doing something different today. I have to have everything right before. Do you I want feel to hear another right really set? This is one. Okay, I apologize in advance if I'm mocking anyone's sincerely held beliefs. But one of the things that I've done a few times to get either personalities or mini arcs, not like generally main plot arcs, but miniature arcs like how's this NPC's life going to go mm-hmm. is I'll do like an online like I Ching or something for no. the character. Yeah, or pull, that's a great idea. Or pull their horse, like give them a random right, birthday and pull their horoscope. I mean, think about this. It's like horoscopes are a bunch of horse but they're summations of... The stars are like tumblers in a lock. Were you kidding? <laughs> anyway. I'm going to slap your face off. <laughs> but the uh, but they're like summations of a person's day. They could absolutely be used as inspiration. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, and don't forget, we're talking about the group here that we would use fortune cookies sometimes to decide things. We did. Oh, I just want to tell you, great. fortune-telling devices are, if yeah. you know how to use them or can find random ones online, are awesome for getting little tidbits. I, I don't know if they give you enough to design a plot. Maybe they do if you're really are creative. Are you kidding? That's skill resolution in my next con game. <laughs> you <laughs> grab a fortune cookie, bam, open that bad boy up, explain well, to me or success have, or failure. You could do yeah. like, because oh, there are different versions of the I Ching, so much are really quick to do. You could find one of the faster versions and be like, okay, I'm going to do this. And you just read their fortune off of it real quick. <laughs> and that's the outcome of the action. That's fantastic. But no, I've used that. Seriously, I have used that before just to design miniature parts of the plot. Like, how, what is this character's arc going to be like? And I'll just read their fortune. And that's going to be what it is. Yeah. Quick, dirty. Yeah. Works. Or go to the Capillarian website and look up what their name means there. Fate mm-hmm. will be. Yeah, but there's all kinds yeah. of weird stuff. You I use. never thought about that. that is but a, I'm going to rip that off. That is a really good idea. Actually, you know, like you said, look up what their name means, the, their fate behind their name. Yeah. Yeah. It's all plugged in there. That exactly. Really yeah. Idea. So that's a little stupid little gym trick. I've, I've not that's used not little... stupid. That's awesome. <laughs> all right. All right. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right. We hope you guys will share your stupid tricks with us. Uh, we're glad we got this episode out. Thank you, stupid little uh, sound card, for reseating yourself. Yeah. Remember that Patreon. How old's this computer, Dan? Uh, older than I care to say. I'll put it this way. It's as old as Warpig, if anyone even remembers what that is. Yeah. So this is the single part of point of failure for the whole show. That if it dies, we're done. <laughs> so, then the chair. Yeah. The chairs. So anyways, I don't have your asses insured for anything except Pat. So, (laughs) thank you guys for tuning in. Have a great week and great games, and we will catch you next time. See ya. This has been a production of Fear the Boot, copyright 2016. Listeners are free to use this episode in any non-commercial endeavor, so long as credit is provided to feartheboot.com. You can find previous episodes and other resources at feartheboot.com. Fear the Boot is also a member of the RPG Academy Network of Shows. You can find other great shows in this network at therpgacademy.com slash network.